Welcome to this brand new and exciting episode of The Missing Piece. If you follow the political news lately, that you know many countries across the world are actively engaging this political changes. Now, from the countries in Asia, for example, the Philippines, South Korea, and all the way to the countries in Australia. Now, today, that the nation of Australia recently elected a brand new prime minister. Now, only this election could shake up the constituents domestically, but also this election result could impact international neighbors. For example, the country of US and even the country in Asia could receive either benefits or drawbacks at the same time. So that's why today in this episode, we need to talk about this election results in Australia and how this brand, brand new prime minister is going to take the nation onto a new path. Now, join our show today is Grant Wyeth. And Grant is a Melbourne-based political expert and specializing in Australia, the Pacific, India, and Canada. Now, without further ado, Grant, and welcome to The Missing Piece. I will. Thank you very much for having me on. It's, it's an honor to be here. Grant, again, the pleasure is all mine. Now, let's get started. Initially, when I discovered you, because this amazing article that you wrote entitled, Macho Election Tactics Miss the Point in Australia. And again, by now, that again, as I mentioned in the intro, we have already found out the result. Now, the nation of Australia has a brand new prime minister, but within your article, you touch on so many critical issues domestically. Again, matters to the voters domestically. Now, can you help us to understand what actually brought Anthony Albanese eventually to this new position comparing with his predecessors? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's quite, it's been quite a uh, an interesting election because although Labour, uh, the Labour Party, which Albanese is the is the leader of, although they won the election, their their vote actually decreased this election. Mm. It's only because the vote of the Liberal Party decreased by even more that uh, they are able to form a government. Um, it's it has something to do with the, the electoral system that we have here in australia which is which is a, a ranked choice uh, a voting system which we call preferential voting system mm. so when you go to vote you rank your candidates in favor and in favor of the ones you like um and the labor party didn't win as many first preferences as they had the last election but they won enough of the other people's preferences to actually get them over the line into into winning. Uh, well, they haven't quite got a majority of seats yet, but they probably will once the final votes are counted. Um, but the real issue of the election has been the collapse of the Liberal Party. That That's really been what has occurred and, and what's allowed there to be a change of government to take place. And the article that I wrote, which was in the week prior to the election, was really about how the Liberal Party have turned off women to, to an extraordinary extent. Um, so at the 2019 election, um, only 35% of women voted for the Liberal Party compared to 45% of men. So there's a huge discrepancy in, in gender in who are voting for the Liberal Party. I believe when we when we have a, a wash-up of all the, the statistics around this election, I think we'll find that women have even moved further away from the Liberal Party. Mm. Um, 
And there just seems to be something about the Liberal Party and the way they present themselves and in the issues that they wish to discuss and issues wish to put forward, which is proving very alienating to women. Um, and there's been another interesting movement in this election where um, a series of female candidates have really gone after, these are female independent candidates mm. who have gone after some serious senior figures in the Liberal Party and, and they've defeated them in, in their seats. And these are seats that have always kind of voted for the Liberal Party mm. and now they've been lost to these to these to this kind of loose movement of independent women. So I think that was... That was an issue that was really bubbling up in this election, um, and I, I think I, I, I kind of saw it happening in the week before the election. That's why I wrote about it. But I think the actual results were even more compelling. You know, mm. were even more compelling. Now, you know, Grant, let's go back to your article. Again, with this article that you mentioned, couple key factors actually brought Anthony Albanese to the stage. And number one that you mentioned, domestic violence. And that's number one. And number two, you're talking about the gender equality. I guess when we talk about domestic violence and gender equality, and those two seem irrelevant, but actually they kind of go hand in hand together, it only means the power of women within the society today. Now, from your perspective, because you are based in Melbourne, can you help us, give us a little bit of information, how devastating was in terms of understanding this domestic violence and how unfair was this gender inequality or I guess how wide was the gap in terms of the gender equality in Australia? You know, because too often we always think about those issues normally will top the agenda for the U.S. political changes. But in Australia, we don't normally hear them a lot. Can you help us to understand a little bit? Yeah, so I think one of the big statistics that I mentioned in the piece is that uh, a woman is being murdered every week in Australia by either a current or a former partner. So that, that's really huge statistic. Um, and it's, it's consistent, you know, in the United Kingdom, it's, it's a woman every three days. Um, in the United States, I'm not sure the statistic, but given the, the, the size of the population, it, it would also be, you know, very similar statistics. Mm. So this is something that, you know, if women can't be safe in their own home, that's a serious problem. Mm. And I think women are now standing up and saying that we actually want governments that are actually aware of this problem and are trying to find ways to, to create solutions to it. Um, the other big issue is, is really the gender equality in terms of economic empowerment of women mm. as well. So there's an extraordinary statistic that I mentioned that um, Australian women are equal first in the world in terms of educational attainment, but only 70th in the world in terms of economic participation. Mm. So there's something about Australia's economic structure that is not allowing women into the workforce and not allowing them to, to advance to kind of senior positions as well. Um, so obviously, if, if you're a woman, this is incredibly frustrating mm. because, you know, these are highly educated women, women who, you know, who have degrees and postgraduate degrees, um, but are still trying, you know, struggling to find jobs. And that, you know, how do we actually create, how, this is the, the issue for governments, is how do we actually create uh, structures that actually help women into the workforce when they are so well qualified? Um and that's something that, again, the Liberal Party has really not seen 
seen as a big issue. They haven't really understood how frustrating this can be for women. And the Liberal Party themselves, um, you know, in terms of their own gender balance in Parliament before the last election, you know, they were less than a quarter of their own of their MPs were, were female. It was a heavily heavily male dominated party as well. Um, so that was one of the big issues. And and I guess Labor Party, Anthony Albanese's party, is still not great on this, but it's better. It's up around forty percent MPs are, are women. Um, but there's still it, it, the Labor Party does have a. Uh, a goal of getting to 50-50, but it's, it's, it's not there yet. Mm. Brent, you know, again, um, as a political expert, you are, and also as an international journalist, and then we know whenever there's an election going on in any other country, we tend to pay attention to the rhetoric of the candidates. So in other words, when I was watching the winning speech, uh, the winning speech of uh, uh, Anthony Albanese, that during the winning speech that he shared how his background was not as ideal as everyone thought. So in other words, he wasn't born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He had a humble beginning, you know, if I'm not mistaken, you know, he was raised by a single mother. So again, this type of story actually brought a lot more connection with the middle class. You know, again, the same story uh, uh, that we uh, used to listen in terms of paying attention to uh, U.S. political changes as well. Now, coming back to this point, how significant it is for the country of Australia to elect someone with Anthony Albanese background. So, in other words, he understood this economic struggle and he understood what does that mean to survive uh, with uh, a limited uh, limitations or, you know, uh, uh, with all the boundaries or in the midst of the boundaries. So, what kind of message that Anthony Albanese sent that actually resonated with the voters during the campaign or eventually brought him to this prime minister membership? Yeah, so, I, you know, as, as you said, I mean, Anthony Albanese was raised by a single mother. She was also a, a, a disability pensioner, so she, she, was, she wasn't able to work because of her disability, and so she, she existed on, on government welfare, um, which in Australia is not much. It's not much. It, it's very difficult to, to live on that. So, but she did an incredible job in, in raising a son who was able to, you know, obviously now become prime minister. Mm. Um, and I think that resonated with a lot of people, and I think it resonated a lot with the traditional Labor voters. You know, traditional Labor voters are really your, your working class voters who, who have worked kind of, you know, your blue collar professions in factories, manufacturing, these, these kind of jobs. Um, the Labor Party has moved away from that in, in recent decades and they've become a party that's more connected to your kind of educated middle class. Mm. Um, you know, your your your. Uh, university-educated professionals, um, but Albanese is more bringing the Labour Party back to its roots, mm. I guess. Um, and I think, I think what it says about, I think Australia, I think it it sends a positive message that you can actually there is opportunities in Australia if you do have a hard upbringing, if you if you do are raised in, in kind of very difficult conditions. There are opportunities for you to advance through to become prime minister if if, mm. if you if if that if you choose. So I think that's a positive message about Australia, and I think it gives people a lot of hope. I think, um, and I think that was maybe part of his connection with the public. I mean, um, although 
it's difficult to say because I think he's I, he's not a great communicator. He's mm. not someone who is able, you know, he doesn't have the the charisma or the charm of mm. someone, you know, someone like a Barack Obama or, or someone who can who is very eloquent and able to talk very well and connect with people. He doesn't have that, but I think he's seen as a, a genuine person, mm. and I think that kind of counts. That kind of counts a lot with people. They're like, well, you know, he may not be charming us, but. He, we, we, we trust him. We see him as a genuine person. We trust him. And I think that's one of his, his great skills. Mm. Grant, let's move on to our international uh, affairs that you know this week has been very busy for the sitting U.S. President Joe Biden because he traveled extensively overseas to Japan, to South Korea, and also the new Prime Minister uh, of Australia, Anthony Albanese, he's also... I guess by the time we're talking about right now, they have already met up with the U.S. counterparts and also with India, you know, build to consolidate this group called a quad. So I want to know from your perspective, again, this is something that we have not heard or have not confirmed from this new prime minister yet. How do you think this new prime minister is going to work strategically with the countries such as U.S., India and also uh, Japan in terms of building this military power or this uh, co collaboration in the long run? Yeah, well, I think one thing about Australian pol uh, politics is that foreign policy doesn't really change much when there's a change of government. Mm. You know, both the two major parties, the Liberal Party and the Labour Party, are very in sync on foreign policy. It's one of these ideas that has a bipartisan consensus in mm. Australia. So I don't suspect there'll be any major changes in regards to foreign policy. I think the Labor Party will, and Anthony, Anthony Albanese will um, maybe be more sympathetic to the issues in the Pacific with Pacific Islands mm. who are very concerned about climate change. I think the Labour Party will be a bit more sympathetic to that. To that, I think there's 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 a affinity I think with Anthony Albanese and, and Joe Biden. So, like just before I came on, I was you know they had actually met up in Tokyo this mm. afternoon, um, and you know they seemed to get along very well. And and apparently they had met previously as well when, before um, either of them were in their current position. So they knew each other in the past, um, and I believe you know that. That personal connection, I think Australian politics likes personal connection as well, likes to be friendly with leaders, especially in Japan and, and India as well. So I think I think that personal connection will work well as well. It, it will be transferred on from the previous Prime Minister to the new Prime Minister. Um, and, you know, the support for the Quad. So the Quad is really, it's really, it's kind of, the Quad's trying to pretend it's not a kind of military alliance. Mm. It's trying to it's trying to pick up other issues as well. So one of the big issues today was was about illegal fishing, and, and That's right. this is quite an issue. This is quite an issue through Southeast Asia as well. Um, and so it, it's it's seeing what other issues it can pick up, which are not these kind of hard edged political, hard edged military issues, and what are what are these kind of issues which are actually just about. I guess creating, I guess equitable international rules mm. in the Asia, in the Asia Pacific or the Indo Pacific, you know, where where um, 
where each country can feel like they're being respected in, in terms of their own their own domain um and that's obviously a difficult thing because there's a lot of crossover between um you know especially in maritime issues there's a lot of crossover between different countries there um but if if the quad can it, it wants to see itself as an organizer of of this sphere which is probably something that you know China is probably not on board with because China would like to have a bigger say. That's right. Um, and I, I think I think it's one of these things where if they if if it does get to the extent where China feels like it's being excluded too much, that might create a bit of a problem. Um, but if China feels like it's being respected and the kind of rules are, are equitable to to all countries in the region, then I think it. it you know the quad does have a have a an ability to be positive, but but they're treading a fine line. I think it's it's a tightrope to walk. I think. Mm. Grant, you know, I'm very glad that you brought China into the conversation because, as I mentioned in the intro, any election takes place within a country. Not only that impact the people or this economy domestically, but also internationally. That we know that China is Australia's biggest trading partner. I mean, again, uh, this uh, bilateral relations have been so, I guess the word called dramatic, and since you know the 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 uh, the year of 2013, and also especially during the pandemic. That Australian government has been very critical towards China, especially when we are talking about this originality of the of the pandemic. And now, since then, the relationship has been deteriorating than ever. Going back to what you said, Grant, even though you said, regardless what election results came out, in terms of foreign policy, that won't change. But however, this is not how China sees the opportunity, and we have seen the U.S. and China has been in the deadlock for years. I mean, even at this moment, but somehow there has to be a smooth transition, or there has to be a change between Australia and China. So let's bring China into the conversation. Is how do you think that China is going to play? Under this new leadership of Australia, so in other words, how do you think that China is going to work with this new prime minister, even though there might not be any potential changes from the Australian government? I think there, there. So this is a difficult one. So I, I think that continuation, I should say, uh, of um, I guess Australia's uh, and China's. Difficulty in the relationship. I don't、mm. think it's going to get a lot better, but it may get a little better.、Mm. I think.、Uh, so several months ago, a new ambassador to、uh, Australia arrived from China, and he he immediately made a signal that he was willing to to kind of you know have a bit more discussion with the Australian、yeah. government, which which had kind of been off the table for a、mm. while. You know.、Um, Basically, the the two governments were not talking to each other at all,、um, and so he he did have a meeting with the foreign minister, and so there was a little bit of room going, you know, a little bit of、um, conciliation going on there. I think maybe there's a, there's an opportunity there that、um, the new government will actually maybe reach out now to the to the new ambassador, and and there might be a bit more discussion there. So I think there's, I think. There is an opportunity for the relationship to improve, but it might be incremental. I don't、mm. think it's going to be a dramatic improvement, but it might just be slowly, slowly 
little bit, little bit, little by little, there might be you know small improvements here. There might be little discussions here and and whatnot, and that will. I don't think it will normalize the relationship, but I think it will maybe make it a little smoother mm-hmm. um, for both countries. So there is, you know, Australia is is. Um, China is Australia's largest export mm. um, market, so that's huge for Australia. But at the same time, China um, is really, really quite reliant on, especially Australian iron ore. So you know, China's development and, and you know the, these these booming cities in China are still being built a lot on Australian iron ore and st- Australian steel. So there, there's a mutual kind of dependency there between the two. So they are. You know, there's an incentive for the two countries to get along well. Mm. It's just about finding this, finding the space to 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 find that where the where the relationship can reach a, I guess a, a smooth path. Mm. Grant, I know you are very busy. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, again, recently, as soon as the election result came out, you tweeted something which is pretty interesting, and I think. It's rather significant for us to talk about this. And again, I'm paraphrasing it. You're saying that as soon as the election result came out, the predecessor was willing to accept the election result without causing any political or social unrest. So I guess we were seeing, I guess, you know, comparing with what's happening in other country, normally the election results could be controversial or especially between the two contenders. Oh, I'm sorry, between the two candidates. I guess that could be some controversial issues. But why do you think it's so important for uh, uh, for anyone that, you know, to accept the, uh, accept the election results peacefully without uh, uh, causing this political or social unrest, not just for Australian government, but also for any other country in the world. Yeah, I, I think this was this was incredibly positive thing that Scott Morrison, the, prime, the former prime minister, did. He, you know, he immediately as soon as he it, it was obvious that he, he wasn't going to win. Mm. Um, and I wasn't going to. He came out and said that. You know, I concede defeat and I always, you know, I trust our democratic process and I, I trust the Australian people. Mm. And, and it, was, it was a hugely positive thing to do because I think we've seen what happened in the United States. Yes. We've seen how Trump refuses to concede that he actually lost. And we saw what happened on January 6th on 2021. Where these Trump supporters stormed the the the, um, the Capitol building, um, and we don't want anything like that in Australia. Mm. We simply don't want anything like that in Australia. And so it was positive that he sent a signal that you know we've lost, and he accepted the defeat graciously. Um, and but also, I mean, we we're quite different from the United States in that we have a very we have an independent electoral commission, so you know, the political parties can't get anywhere near the actual processes of democracy. Um, it's it's very different from the United States where the two parties kind of run the process as well. Um, so, um, and the Australian public trusts 
the Australian Electoral Commission. The Australian public knows that whatever results the Australian Electoral Commission put out, they are the actual results. There is no question. You know, it, it's a, it's an incredibly trustworthy and, it's a, and it does a thorough and wonderful job. Um, so, um, you know, I still think it, it was incredibly important just for Morrison to just say, you know, because we've seen, we saw it after Trump did this in the United States, we saw in Samoa, in our region, the, the previous Prime Minister, he refused to accept the election result. We saw it in Peru as well. So he started, Trump started a trend and it's, you know, that this was now an option on the table that you could just refuse to accept results. Um, and so I think it's important that political leaders, whether they be in Australia or, or any other democracy, that, that they just signaled that, no, the rules of the game are important and we need to accept the rules of the game. You know, we need to play by the rules. That's right, Grant. I couldn't agree with you more. Now, I want to wrap up our conversation with a simple question. We know whenever there's a new president or there's a new prime minister takes over, become, you know, the whole, uh, the face of the nation, there are so many things that could be on the agenda. Now, from your perspective, for Anthony Albanese, as the new prime minister of the country, what is, or should I say, what are some of the critical issues that are so dire for the nation to be solved or uh, for the uh, the government uh, to pay attention at this moment? I mean, again, uh, looking at the world, we're looking at 2022, uh, the pandemic, the economy, I mean, gender equality, many of them could be laid out on the table. But from your perspective, what do you think that are the most concerning issues for people today? after this election result came out? Yeah, so I think climate change especially was a big issue in the election. And I think um, Australia is in a difficult position because coal and gas are such big export earners mm. as well. And there's, and there's several regions in the country that are really reliant on these exports. So that makes it very difficult for Australia to actually be you know, to move towards renewable energy mm. in, in any forceful way. I mean, so that would be a big issue. I think cost of living concerns are another big issue. You know, a lot of places in the world are experiencing inflation and That's we are right. here as well. Um, and, you know, the, the price of petrol is, is you know, is serious in Australia as well. This is partially being caused by the war in, in Ukraine as well. Um, I think for a lot of people, and the Labor Party have really um, campaigned on boosting wages, especially boosting the minimum wage. The minimum wage is quite good in Australia, but it could be better. It's not keeping up with, it's not actually keeping up with inflation. So, um, and that's actually causing a lot of people who, who do rely on the minimum wage. So there's a few issues. You know, it wasn't really a campaign of big ideas. You know, it, it was really a kind of very small campaign on just looking at kind of minor issues and minor tweaks, really, to, to the way Australia operates. Um, you know, I think Australian politicians are very scared of saying anything too big. They That's think right. if they say if they say anything too big, or if they say you know they come out with bold ideas, that will cause them to lose. So Australian politicians tend to only ever like to make small changes or or, or run their campaigns around small changes. It, so it makes kind of boring political campaigns. Um, but it's you know. In general, I think the, you know, I mean, Australia is a, is a country that functions pretty well. It could 
do with some improvements in some areas, but in general, you know, there's a, there's a decent standing of living here and it's quite a peaceful society. So I think, um, you know, politicians who are seem to be tinkering too much with that mm. uh, are up for it, you know? Um, you know, th- there's a there's a conservatism in a, ph- in a philosophical way of the, in the Australian public because we, we don't like dramatic change. We, we just like incremental change. Well, Grant, I couldn't agree with you more, but you think about it on one hand, that without promising anything big might sound boring, but I just hope and I pray that some of the American politicians can actually learn some of the tips from that. Instead of promising something big or dramatic, why not being practical and realistic regarding the goals of the country? Well, Grant Wyeth, it's a Melbourne-based political expert specializing in Australia and the Pacific, India and Canada. And I strongly encourage our viewers to go online check out Grant's latest article. It's called Macho Election Tactics, Miss the Point in Australia. And also you can find him through all social media platforms. Again, Grant, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. And thank you so much for taking your time to join our show. Help us to understand this recent election in Australia. Let's keep in touch and we'd love to have you back as we continue to watch and follow the progress under Anthony Albanese in Australia. Thank you.